Welcome to this moment and what a joy it is to be with you wherever you are in the world or this nation or this city. My name is Drew Sams. I'm the senior pastor of Bel Air Church. And of course, we are coming from you from our campus here in Los Angeles. And yet our reach is across the globe. And wherever you are in this moment, not just physically, but wherever you are emotionally, financially, psychologically, my prayer is that God's word would transform your perspective that you would receive a strength through the power of the Holy Spirit that is unlike anything else, and that we would find ourselves grounded in the unshakable truth of who God is, not just intellectually, but practically as well. In a moment, we're going to get to a passage of Scripture, and we're going to see what the real, true, saving hope that comes through Jesus Christ actually is. And my prayer is that in doing so, we will actually begin to discover the spam hope, the counterfeit hope that exists out in the world. In a moment, we're going to dive into Romans 8, like I said, but at the end, we've got a very special guest, couple, who's with us today. But before we get there, why don't we go to God's Word? This is Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, very famous passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, one of the first followers of Jesus, wrote this in the first century, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was addressed to the Christians in Rome and Italy. And blessings to you as you're joining today from Italy. We know many are joining us from Italy today. Uh, but this letter, though it was written in the first century because it was inspired by the Spirit of God, actually is written to us today as well. And this is very different words than any other book in human history. This has the power to meet us in our present moments, to, to transform us, unlike anything else, because the author of this is God. And yes, penned by human hand, Paul, uh, we come to this moment, my prayer, open, ready, hungry to be transformed by what God has for us. So this is Romans 8, 18 through 25. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In fact, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit of God, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And as we say, this is the reading of God's word, and thanks be to God. So the three things I want to explore with us today are first and foremost this, the true measure of this moment. Second, how you can measure every moment of your life, including this moment right now, and thirdly, as we introduce our guest today, we're going to take a look at the difference between a spam hope versus that true saving hope. 
So entirely, I want to focus on verse 18 right now as we consider the true measure of this moment. You know, what I love about Scripture, one of the things is the depth of God's Word. I think about the ocean, and I think about how I can comprehend the depth of the ocean, not because I've been able to swim down to the bottom and touch it, but rather because I've been out in the ocean I've put the snorkel mask on, off the coast, hundreds of yards. I've held my breath, and I've dove down as deep as I could, and I couldn't touch the bottom. And it doesn't require me to touch the bottom to know how deep it is, but by not being able to touch the bottom, I can begin to comprehend just how deep the ocean is. As we find ourselves in God's word, we're not going to get to the bottom of the depth of God's word. But as we dive deep, in this moment and in moments ahead, we're going to find that we will never touch the bottom of the riches of God's glorious truth. But as we hold our breath, as we dive down deep together, we're going to see that we don't even get close to the bottom in fact, right here in verse 18, there's such richness and such depth in just this passage as we, as we consider the true measure of this moment. Now, I want to dive into not just the English here that we're reading, but into the Greek, uh, the language of the New Testament primarily. As you open your Bibles, as you take a look at verse 18, there's this phrase right there smack dab in the middle of that verse in the middle of verse 18 in our English in the new revised standard version that I have here it translates it as this present time now the word for time here is one of two Greek words for time now of course in the English we've got one word for time it's time and yet we use the word time in a variety of ways. But in the Greek language, again, the language of the New Testament, in the first century here, uh, there's two words for time. There's chronos. It's where we get the word chronological from. That word for time is the hours, the minutes, the seconds. When I uh, open up my watch and I look at it, I can see exactly what time it is right now. For those of you that have a phone that has a, a clock on it, you can see that time. For some of us, we forget to, to set the right time when we reach uh, daylight savings. We can see that our time is off between our microwave and our, and our watch. That time is very different than another Greek word for time, which is kairos. Now, that word for time is the time within time. It is the season, it is the moment, it is the, the definition of the meaning behind the clock. Now we also use it in the English language, in our word time, we can convey that same meaning. Uh, we might in our language say, hey, remember the time when we miss going to the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles. I mean, remember that time when we were cloistered in, we were quarantined in, that the idea of standing in line somewhere meant we were out, we were free. We could actually go about our lives. We might even say, God, remember the time when we were the teachers for our kids? Remember the time when we were overwhelmed and actually appreciating all that teachers actually do for us? 
Remember the time when we used to walk into banks with a face mask and gloves and it was okay? Remember that time when the world shut down? That has nothing to do with hours and minutes and seconds. That has everything to do with Kairos. This moment that we are all in is a Kairos moment. And that's what Paul is referring to in Romans 8.18 when he says this present time. He is saying this present Kairos. Paul finds himself in the first century at a moment in time that is far beyond what is on a watch or a clock or a date or a sundial. But he finds himself in a moment. And in this moment, he actually reveals to us the true measure of that moment. And he goes into great detail and he says it right here. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, or kairos, are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. You see, in that moment of time, in that kairos, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he is talking about two things that coexist at that exact same time. Two things that exist in that kairos moment. The suffering that is all around him that he's experiencing and the glory that is about to be revealed. Now, there is this truth that we dipped our toes into last week that I want to push into in this moment, but I also want to continue to extend in the weeks to come. And it's this marvelous truth that we are, yes, we are bound in time. We are here in this present moment. As we said last week, that yes, Christ is in us here on earth, but at the same time, at the same moment, not just on the clock, but in this Kairos moment, the last week's message was that we are also in Christ, where Christ is right now, and that's at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And you can go back wherever podcasts can be found for Bel Air Church. You can go onto our YouTube channel and watch this, listen to this. But it's this two truths of this moment that we are right now here on earth, surrounded by all that's around us, and we're also, we can't see it, we are in the presence of God in Christ right now. Those two truths, which are separate from our vantage point, one day when Christ returns, when God establishes God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, those two truths will become one. And that which we will see all around us will be the fullness of what it means to be in God's presence. This is a very different truth then the distortion of Scripture which says, this is all that there is, and one day out into the future, then we will be raised to newness of life with Christ. There's this false distortion of so much of Scripture that uh, many of us have bought into. It's this, this misconception that what we see around us is all that there is, and we've just got to get through what is, because one day, way out in the future, then God will do the work that God's going to do. The actual truth, the powerful truth, the depth of what Paul is talking about here is that there are two things, two truths. There's this physical reality, and yet there is this spiritual reality that is true at the same time. 
Because Paul here in Romans 8.18 is talking not just about the sufferings of this present time, but he's talking about a glory that is about to be revealed to us. And the about to be revealed is in the present tense. He's not talking about the suffering of this moment compared to the glory way off into the future. He's talking about measuring and weighing and comparing two things, the suffering of this moment, but also the glory that is about to be revealed. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can flip forward to another moment where Paul talks about this. It's actually found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He goes into great detail and he says this in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. He says, And all of us with unveiled faces... Seeing the glory of the Lord, that's all in present tense, as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed. That's present tense in an ongoing way. We are being transformed into the same image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. He is saying that there is this truth that is happening right now that goes far beyond what you can see around us. And the true measure of this moment isn't just what we see around us, but the true measure of this moment is actually that which we can also not see that is happening right now. Let's go deeper here. Yes, there is this word kairos, which is used 82 times in the New Testament. But there's also another word. It's the word axion. It's found here as you go to Romans 8, 18. The word in the English language is worth. That's the Greek word axion. In the first century, what they would do is they would literally, you can picture this, can't you? A scale that would have two sides of it. And when they would try to measure the weight of whether it was silver or gold, or coin. When they tried to measure the weight of that, they would add other pre-measured weights to the other side to ultimately create a balanced scale. When the scale was balanced, axion was established. Worth was established. It was a measurement of exact, equal proportion. And so Paul is using this fascinating, just this profound language that in this present moment, there is a weighing of, a measuring of two things, of the suffering of this present moment, which we'll get into in a moment for what that meant for Paul and what that means for us, but also of the glory that is being revealed right now in this present moment. In fact, that word axion is used 39 times in the New Testament. In fact, that, that word is connected to the very first verb in verse 18. If you open those Bibles back up, take a look at this. Paul says, I consider. The Greek verb there is logizomai. It's this profound word that was actually a business term in the first century. And it was the process of weighing how much something was worth. 
And when Paul says, I consider, he's not saying, I've got an opinion. He's not saying, you know, I've got a hunch. He's not saying, I've got a belief. He's not saying, you know, there's a perspective out there. No, he's saying, I have measured something. I have weighed something. I have done a lot of work to really consider the weight of two things in this present moment. And there is now a result of his work, a result of his consideration, a result of his logizomai that produces real saving hope. The true measure of this moment right here is this. I consider that the sufferings of this moment. Well, what kind of sufferings did Paul have? Let's talk about him before we talk about us. Well, as you go later on into verse 8, he begins to go into some details about his sufferings. Part of it had to do with persecution that he was experiencing as a follower of Jesus. It was never less than that, but actually it was even more. In fact, in verse 35, it says this, will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from Christ? He goes into even more detail later on in his letter to the church in Corinth. In fact, you can read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about his suffering in profound detail. He says this. This begins in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians 11. He says, five times I have received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning, three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and false sisters, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. The weight of his suffering was massive. I find myself inconvenienced. I find myself disappointed. I find myself Suffering in some ways? Uh, That was nothing compared to the suffering of Paul. And it's true that in some ways my inconveniences, my uh, disappointments, uh, the things that I'm used to, my normal routines, are nothing compared to some of the suffering that's going on right now in our cities, in our nation, in our world. And yet Paul says that suffering is suffering. And I'm jumping ahead, but there is a a spam hope that the world has that tries to put our hope in simply comparing our suffering to the suffering of others. In fact, there's this spam hope that I see, and I see a lot of it around us, that uh, there's this false hope that says, you know what? You're really not suffering that bad because consider that group or that person or those experiences. And therefore, you should have hope because you're not really suffering. 
In fact, that takes the shape of the real hope that we're going to get to in a moment. It actually elicits a response. It causes us to downplay maybe the, the inconveniences, the disappointments, the micro-sufferings that we have. And yet, that's not at all how Paul calls us to look at our suffering. He calls us to be honest with our suffering, to acknowledge our suffering. And he gives a long list of a variety of things. He even includes hunger, uh, thirst. He includes disappointments. He includes anxiety on that list. He actually includes a lot of things that maybe some people wouldn't consider suffering. He includes all of it. And so Paul measures that moment in his life and he stacks up on one side of the scale all the sufferings of this present moment, some massive, some seemingly small, but he puts it all on the scale. And then what does he do? He loads up on the other side of the scale. The glory of God that is about to be revealed to him in Jesus Christ. And when he puts that on the scale... The scale is so powerfully tipped that the weight of suffering becomes so light compared to the profound weight of the glory of God. Not out in the future, but in this present moment. In fact, Paul goes into greater detail about the weighing of that scale, and he does so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he goes into this remarkable truth in verse 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians. He says, when we measure the weight of this present moment with all of its sufferings and yet with the glory of God that is being revealed in this moment, it causes us, verse 16, to not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight, momentary affliction, one side of the scale, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond measure. Because we look not at what can just be seen, but we look at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, it's the physical around us, but what cannot be seen is eternal. He doesn't say future, he says eternal. And that brings us back to last week where C.S. Lewis refers to it as the eternal now. When you can, in this present moment, not just the moment that's on your watch, but in this present Kairos season, if you can allow the truth of eternity that is existing in this present moment to pour into the nowness of what you're experiencing, that you can, in this present moment, truly measure this moment. And you can load up on one side the reality of all that you're going through, as Paul does. He doesn't discard it. He doesn't bury it. No, he puts it for all to see right there on the scale. But on the other side, he puts full display the glory of the Lord that is being revealed in and through him on the other side. And the two truths are weighed out. And he finds himself saying this in Romans 8, 18, that I have weighed, I have measured these two things. And I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth, they're not equal to, they're not measured equally by the glory that is being revealed to us. 
The true measure of every moment of your life is by honestly bringing into focus all that you're going through. You see, a spam hope, a false hope, a counterfeit hope is to minimize all that you're actually going through and to, to bury those things and to hide those things. But an actual saving hope is one in which you can bring it on full display. You can see it. You can articulate it. You can be affected by it. You can actually understand its weight and its heaviness. But also at the same time, you can put on the scales in your mind the glory of God. Did you know that the word glory in the Hebrew language, kabod, literally means heaviness? Packed into the word glory is the weight, is the heaviness, is the significance of the Lord of creation. You know, we use that phrase so often, you know, I, I give more weight to somebody's opinion. Uh, I put more significance in that person's point of view. In fact, glory simply means weightiness. It means significance. And the Apostle Paul said, yes, there is a weight of what we are experiencing, but there's actually a heavier weight, and it's God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And so that leads me to the second part of how you can measure every single moment of your life, every kairos moment. Imagine if you were to pull out a piece of paper and literally write down on one column, one side, one scale, all that you're going through. The weight of this present moment, the heaviness, and if you've been told, ah, that's no big deal, that's first word problems, put it on the scale. Don't bury any of it. List, maybe you need two pages, maybe you need three pages. Literally, list all those things. Put it before you, put it before God in prayer. And on the other side, what if you wrote out this present tense truth of just the tip of the iceberg of the glory of God that is actually true in this present moment that you would write down. Here's one example. In Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 12, there is a present tense truth that you can't see. It's not part of this physical world. It is a spiritual reality that one day we are going to fully grasp. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, verse 22. This is what you can write down in the other column. This one passage of scripture tips the scales of all that's on the other side. If you can allow the spirit of God to let this truth and the weight of this truth pour into your life. Hebrews 12 Verse 22 says this, all in the present tense through faith and trust in Jesus. But you, you have come to Mount Zion. And you, you have come to the city of the living God. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. 
you have come to the innumerable angels and festive gathering. You have come to God, the judge of all. You have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And you have come, present tense, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Imagine that in this present moment. All that you're going through, whether it seems small, whether it seems big, in this present moment, the writer of Hebrews says that you have come in the presence of not only God, but angels and all the believers and all the saints throughout all of human history. That is happening right now. And so the Apostle Paul was able to write later on, I have learned the secret of being content in every and all circumstance, whether hungry or well-fed, whether persecuted or things going great, whether you're in quarantine or not, whatever you're going through, he learned the secret and it's free for you that when you receive Jesus by faith, that you have not only received a newness of life in Christ, where Christ is in you, but now you are in Christ in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And you can weigh these two things at once. That these sufferings aren't minimized. They're defined. These sufferings aren't overlooked. They're put in their proper context. Because Paul will go later on in Romans 8. That the real saving hope, unlike the spam hope of this world, the real saving hope is something that we can access right here and right now. It is a truth that we can experience in the midst of our sufferings, not despite our sufferings, but through our sufferings, the real glory, the real strength, the real profound truth of who God actually is. And I love the fact that today we've got some special guests who are part of our Bel Air Church family, though they've moved away. They're currently in the East Coast living. They've been part of the Beller Church family and probably always will be. And their story is so intertwined with our story. And in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to interview Jay and Catherine Wolf, how they've experienced this real saving hope, even in the midst of suffering. But before we go to them, for those of you that don't know Jay and Catherine Wolf, take a look at this video. <laughs> it's always in the back of laugh. We do it on the way to school, and our kids are so weirded out by it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we shared this story of struggle, the story of suffering as humans, but more than that, we share this story of strength, this possibility that there's more in the story, that there's something new, that suffering is not the end of the story, but it's the beginning of a new one. This is the story we get to remember together. We get to not only just tell ourselves in our heads and our hearts, but to tell each other through our lives that there is more. We believe we all have wheelchairs. Internally, we all have invisible wheelchairs, we call them. We all have things inside of us, brokenness, hard stories, hard memories, tough stuff we're wrestling with in life. and. No one sees these, but I believe invisible wheelchairs are inside all of us. My upended life has revealed my second chance life. The redefining of me has become the refined me. And I truly love my life. I want to cherish it and champion it, even the part I would never have imagined. 
and I want to live it well to the very end. And may it be so for us all. Oh, it's so great being with y'all. Hey, Drew and our Bel Air family. Hey, hey guys, we're so glad to get to share with you even though it's not in person like we would have wanted. What I want to do is I want to dive right into your newest book, Suffer Strong. You wrote, the kingdom of God is rarely more alive than when we invite God into the place of our deepest constraints. When our sense of competency and the distractions of life are set aside due to our limitations, we can see the miracle of life in its most magnificent form. And it changes everything. We believe we all have invisible wheelchairs. Even though I'm the one with the external, obvious wheelchair that you see, we believe all of us are carrying around invisible wheelchairs inside of us based on everything that we've been through, that we've done, our memories, our history, all the stuff inside of us, all of the mental illnesses in all of us, all of the eating disorders in us, all the addictions, everything that you don't see that is definitely a wheelchair internally. And what is so beautiful about wheelchairs, internal or external, is that we know because of the gospel, Jesus himself came and limited himself to human flesh. And that dignifies our earthly limitations and constraints. But it doesn't end there. The most joyous and hopeful news of all is that Jesus overcame his limitations. When he rose again from the dead, he was no longer bound by human flesh. He overcame the grave. And in that, we recognize that we can live well within our constraints, in our hard stories. You know, that's such a profound reality for us to be able to identify those invisible wheelchairs, to actually acknowledge the suffering that we are experiencing eternal. Uh, internally in light of all that God is doing. How have you in this season of not just physical constraints, but just the constraints of this particular season, how is that enabling you to draw closer to the God that you love? So as Catherine was saying, we, we all have constraints and perhaps there's no greater time corporately or globally that we've been able to experience the reality of that than in this season of the pandemic. And what I think is hopeful and powerful, again, there's such a loss, so, uh, such a deep cost to it, but I believe that as we've seen in our personal story of limitation, that the wheelchair is not just sort of this thing Catherine is bound to, as we talked about invisible wheelchairs, but you know, going through the Atlanta airport or LAX or whatever, if you're not able to walk, you want a wheelchair. That wheelchair is not something you're bound to, it's something that frees you to be out in the world, and hopefully we'll get back to the airport one day, but you get my point. Um, what if all of our means of limitation could actually be the very avenue for our freedom? And this sort of is a way of thinking that is really in the upside down kingdom. We say our upended life helped us to understand the upside down kingdom of God. And so that's why we feel like this message is so 
needed and timely and powerful and and for right now, more than ever before, for everybody to know. I mean, this is a, always a reality that the world is not safe, that we, in a moment's notice, might find our world turned upside down or not what we thought it was gonna be. And yet now we're all sort of getting this experience together. One of my favorite quotes is from a theologian, N.T. Wright, who says that we are signposts of hope that point back to Easter morning and the resurrection of Jesus and point forward to the establishment of the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth. As we live in this space in between those two moments, what is your prayer, your hope for those that are listening today to be signposts of hope in their everyday lives? So while so much is unchanging in our circumstance these days and in our situations, um, what we can change is how we think about things. And when we change that, we become those signposts. We get to be full of hope, overflowing with hope, in fact, because of how we live in these hard days. We've seen in our story that it had much less to do with what actually happened to me as it did how we thought about it, how we remembered it, how we responded to it. And the same is true here, that when we can take our world in and what's happening in our circumstances and see the right lessons, learn them, cherish them, really be about like, what is God teaching me in this difficult season? Then we can emerge renewed and refreshed and whole enough to encourage others. We can look outside of ourselves and giving hope away is how we can overflow with hope. Jane Catherine, it's been such a joy to have you with us. We'd love for you to pray for us, to pray for the listeners today, to send us into the rest of our worship today. Father, we praise you because we know that this is not too much for us. This incredibly difficult season is not too much. And I don't mean it isn't too much because we can handle it because we can't, Lord. But we know the deep comfort of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that in our weakness, you are strong and you are in us, Lord. So we cling to you in this. And we know that we may be hard-pressed, but we are not crushed, Lord. You are always there taking care of us, giving us what we need to get through each of these hard days, Lord. We give you praise and honor for how you are at work in each one of our stories, Lord. I pray for perseverance, Father, that we can all suffer strong in your name. Amen. What a joy to, to be with you guys. We love you and hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.